And the Oscar goes to, by a nose, Nicole Kidman. Hi, Zach. Hello, Samuel. Welcome, uh, welcome to my podcast. Welcome to the Kid Manifesto. How's uh, it going? Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> um, I'm recording from my couch uh, that you were on a week ago because we saw this movie together. We did. We did see that. I, I, I braved the 405 North, the 5 North, actually, all the way to San Francisco to watch this movie with you. Yeah, uh, we should. This one's going to be a unique one. Um, this is the <laughs> first. This is the well, it's going to be unique because you're here, obviously. Uh, it's also, I think, the first movie that's come out of her since I started, because I think The Beguiled and Sacred Deer had maybe both already released maybe right. i don't know why i'm asking you but i'm telling you <laughs> i think they've been out i think they've been sort of percolating in the universe this one this one's been percolating but not really in the accessible universe we went to the american premiere as i think the the um, the united states premiere of the film i'm pretty sure yeah it had only been at uh can infamously and then um i believe tiff after or so the, if not TIFF, then in Toronto. Yeah, United States. What are we? What are we here to talk about? We're here to talk about the um, new film, the Nicole Kidman, Al Fanning, John Cameron Mitchell, Neil Gaiman collabo, "How to Talk to Girls at Parties." Um, it's a, it's a, it's a new movie that I guess when this comes out, which just came out this weekend, this past weekend. Yeah, we're going to operate under the auspices that this is coming out the uh, the Monday after, which like I'm I honestly didn't think that we were ever going to see this movie. So the I, fact that we're even here right now is I was actually the same mind. Sorry to cut you off there. I was of the same mind. Like uh, this was a, I was excited about this for a variety of reasons that we'll get into. But this was something that I was really like looking forward to. And then it got it hit some speed bumps and got some bad reviews and took some turns, some interesting twists and turns to get to the, to a wide release. And um, I'm just so happy that it did find a home um, and is being released because it's, it's such a fun time. And um, you get to, it's, I think it's a, a new take on maybe an old genre and it's, it's really cool. I agree. Um, are you okay to talk about you a little bit before we talk about the movie? Can I'm great to spot? talk. About yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm shivering because I knew I was doing this at two. So I shut the um, air conditioning. I turned the air conditioning on. <laughs> so I'm like, if you hear me shivering, it's because my I just shut off my air conditioning because I knew I had to do this. So I was like shivering in an hour uh, window before this. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's 900 degrees in uh, Santa Monica. In the, yeah, today, yeah, today is like the first nice day this year <laughs> and so i've i'm making you stay inside to talk about this movie uh this is also a, a two a day for me because i just recorded another episode where i made another poor soul sit inside on this nice afternoon um so thanks for thanks for being here um can well, we yeah what would you like to know oh i just want to know you know your history with nicole uh maybe like you know what movie would you have done had this movie never seen the light of day Oh, wow. Well, I think I, I texted you long, long time ago about Cold Mountain, which I think is a I think is a, a an overlooked movie. Um, 
And uh, so I maybe would have done Cold Mountain. Also, just because it's so close to me, the remake of the Stepford Wives, um, that's such a... Cl I, I have a very um, similar... My, my childhood looks very similar to where that movie takes place, um, even though that movie is a total, like, complete 180 from my experience. Um, it's such a funny... Pl like, I grew up in a town in Connecticut close to where that movie takes place. And I just love the sort of lampooning of that culture because I think they got it so right. Um, and I love Frank Oz as director. And I just, I thought it was so funny. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, and I love, um, I love, I love the, uh, the Nicole forays that maybe aren't um, as popular. Like I love the, um, I love Bewitched. I love the Bewitched remake. I, uh, I don't know why, but uh, it's fun. I, uh, I guess you I have like weird Stockholm syndrome with that movie. I think where yeah. like I know what it wants to do, and I'm like rooting for it so hard that it like convinces me that I like the movie. Correct. Yeah. Um. And uh, I get mean, I guess she won an Oscar for the hours. So that's not necessarily a deep cut, right? Um. Oh, she did this movie in 2007 called The Invasion. Or am I thinking of a different person? Nope. That's that's her. That movie is. Dope. I would have done the invasion probably. I love that movie. Uh, I, yeah. I need I need to get the invasion on the books. Um, we have a we have the guest identified, and I've been really shitty to him um, as far as scheduling. So I really need to make that happen because I've never seen that movie, and I am uh, strangely looking forward to it. You know, it's 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 a good one. There's really nothing wrong with it, other than the fact that you're like, why is Nicole Kidman in this movie? It's she's she's certainly elevates the material, in my opinion. There's a, and we'll get into it, there's kind of a level of that that I feel with how to talk to girls at parties where I'm like a little shocked that she even, like it seems miraculous to like get her in this day and age, but to get her in a role like this where like she's not on screen for that long. No, she doesn't have that much to do. She's kind of a wallflower. She, yeah, I mean, she's she's definitely an ancillary character. Her character does hold weight in what she does, but uh, it, it also seems like, a lot of fun. I mean, she, she, this is a reteaming of her and John Cameron Mitchell from, they teamed up on rabbit hole. Um, so it's, there's, there's a little bit of that faith in that working relationship that I think carries some weight in, in a project like this, uh, that's kind of out there, but also I, this is something clearly that like she did because she believed in the material. Yeah. It's clear. Um, just in kind of like, in recent months, we've seen like a, a big push for this movie all of a sudden, um, because the reality is that you've already mentioned um, it was a can like a, a full year ago at this point, and uh, then kind of like vanished into the ether. Um, and then like in the last month or so, we've seen interviews and, and trailers and things like that. And then a release date, which I'm still shocked by. And it's like clear that John Cameron Mitchell loves Nicole. And I haven't seen her talk about this as much, but I remember from doing the rabbit hole episode that like the reverse is also true, um, that she's like very interested and not to get um, too deep into our experience of seeing it. But one of the things in the Q and A after is like John Cameron Mitchell firmly believes that Nicole Kidman is punk rock. And like, he looks at her and he sees the way that she exists in the world and the way that she chooses films and who she chooses to work with as like, capital P punk rock, which I, I adore. I think that's so charming. Right. And I mean, that's, I mean, it's going to become very evident. So I don't know why we need to skirt around it. 
this for me is really a John Cameron Mitchell episode. <laughs> it's not necessarily a Nicole episode. I'm such a big, huge fan of his. Um, I'm a big fan of everybody's really, but um, he's sort of at the top of the mountain of the people I'm climbing over to, to be a fan of. And uh, yeah, I think that, that there it's a little bit of a, a mutual admiration society here between Nicole and John Cameron Mitchell. Um, and I think, I think the idea is that this was, this was a, a movie, this was a movie that was going to get made for this, for the sake of, of making a great film, as opposed to trying to sell it in China first and, plugging in everybody's cue scores. And I mean, there was a lot of that, but um, as there has to be in every movie nowadays, which we can talk about, but uh, it, this is, this is more of a movie I think really about, about like, let's go make a movie that it's, it's going to be some kid's favorite movie. I really feel like this is going to be some 15 year old kid in, you know, Cleveland, Ohio's favorite film. I really do. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, it is interesting too, because like, John Cameron Mitchell, while a beloved director, like I don't think too many people, present company excluded, are like leaping out of their seats to like, you know, reserve their ticket. Right. Um, El Fanning, like arguably our fastest rising star, oh um, I still think is in this like weird spot. And then like nobody's going to see a, a Ruth Wilson joint and it's Alex Sharp's first movie. Uh, so I think it like it truly has to rely on that charm of exactly what you just said, which is like banking on the fact that. Uh, this will appeal to, you know, teens and and they'll go see it, which is like not the can audience and not the audience that we saw it with. Well, yeah, the, it's the audience we saw it with was prime. But can we talk about uh, Elle Fanning and Alex Sharp for a second? Like they, yeah, those kids in this movie, first of all, Elle Fanning, I think this is a star making turn for her. I think she's so big. I loved her in uh, a movie where she has similar work to do, uh, Neon Demon. I don't know if you saw that. Um, my Neon Demon story is that a friend of the podcast, Tom Zohar, and I tried to watch this. This is actually the second version of the same story that I've told with him, but we tried to watch it because it was in 4K Ultra HD on Prime, and we got like 20 minutes into it, and we were just like, mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a real chore, uh, and it's one of those movies that, dare, it's one of those sort of new extremism, fuck you, like I dare you to watch me movies, um, but she's you just can't take your eyes off her in that movie. Um, she's so, the, just, she clearly her She has a face that is so wonderful to photograph. Um, and she's so calm in front of the camera. And so like, not even calm, but like confident in what she's doing. And she really brings that confidence to this character of Zan. Um, which I, I really just think this is like such a cool character and such a fun thing for her and, and a fun thing for us, the audience to watch her do. Cause it's, I think it, it's a, a little bit of a new take on maybe the position she's been put in. And like you said, she's still, she's a rising star, but she still hasn't had that breakthrough. And this is maybe a little bit of like trying to push that into the breakthrough area a little bit more. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, um, and you and I talked about this right after we saw it, but she has to do this thing where we the audience know as much as she does and then the characters around her know less and so she has to play at these different levels that are really really funny and i think some of the like visual acting she does is like some of the funniest things that i've seen that this year right. uh right and then i i look at like the beguiled side by side with this and i'm like oh she's doing it there too it's just a different flavor and like this is like sometimes it's just the most exciting thing and i've said this about nicole is like to see them be fun and be funny um 
because we just love to praise like a strong dramatic performance and like this is just strong comedic acting for most of it uh, yeah and and i i want to get to that point because there was a lot of laughing in the theater and i uh i yes it's a it's a really funny movie it's hilarious but there was also a lot of laughing of recognition in the movie and there's and so there's a an interesting um like dichotomy there of like what what the what is the examination of what's funny because it's it's makes us laugh and what's funny because it's it rings true it speaks to the truth and uh i think this is and so getting to kind of what the the crux of like my obsession with john cameron mitchell is his work has always sort of dealt with the contradiction of the two worlds you he's always dealt with contradictions in their broadest senses right so creating hedwig and the angry inch as an off-broadway play and and if just a little tiny backstory on that, if you don't know what Hedwig is, um, it's the story of a transgender German rock and roll singer who grew up on the east side of the Berlin Wall and is now in America singing about uh, lost loves and and her journey to where she is today. And uh, it's 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 a if you do know. So now I'll just skip. Let's, I'm assuming that you've Wikipedia and you know everything about Hedwig. The idea that there's, there's, you know, the Berlin Wall, the east and west side of the wall, there's the uncertainty of gender, there's, it's also in part based on the origin of love, which is uh, Plato's symposium, Uh, basically the Greeks got together and came up with, asked themselves, you know, where did love come from? And they came up with this idea that it was the long time ago, even before the ancient Greeks, there was three types of creatures, a man and a man stuck together, a man and a woman stuck together and a woman and a woman stuck together. And they walked the earth completely unknowing of what their transgressions were. And so the gods got angry and jealous of them at their hubris, because without that, with when you're whole, without the lack of that wholeness, that hundred percent, you really don't have that, the, the need, there's no need anymore. There's no wanting or desire. So the gods split them apart. So they are, either doomed or destined to roam the earth looking for their other half to make them whole again. And that's essentially the story of Hedwig is she's searching for her other half, that division, right? So these, these divisions are, I think a big part of John Cameron Mitchell's work. Again, I can only speak to the theory of this. I haven't really, I don't know for a fact, but this is what I've gotten as a viewer Um, a little bit in short bus, you know, short bus is a movie about, sex in post towers, New York. Um, and again, it just goes further into that division and individuality versus society. And you could really just blow it up to individual versus society. And so then you take, uh, again, rabbit hole is it, you can talk about the contradiction between how do you celebrate love? How do you celebrate life and also mourn the life of someone who was once living, but is now dead. There's a lot of contradictions in there. Um, and then you get to the movie we're talking about today, which is how to talk to girls at parties. There's also that contradiction of like, of there's the punk rock. There's the, the, there's the, there's, he literally takes it otherworldly. <laughs> like you, you, there are two, now there are two worlds because we are now visited by aliens. So, and again, we can get into all the contradictions in this, but bringing it back to my original point, in every one of those films, you can point out specific uh, moments where, it is hilarious in, I mean, I don't know if rabbit hole is ever hilarious, but I could, <laughs> um, but you know, there's a, uh, there, there are moments that are 
seriously funny followed by real intense dramatic loss. And I don't think anybody toes that line better than John Cameron Mitchell. Uh, and it's, um, it's, it's a really funny movie, but then every joke is punctuated by a real, um, feeling of, of loss and, or a feeling of drama as well. So there's, there's a real grounding to this movie that I think that if it was maybe put in the wrong hands would, would have, it would have just not worked because it's not grounded. It, it, it could, I could see a way that where it could go completely off into an, into a place where it wouldn't work, but because it, it, it stays grounded in that contradiction of like, is it hilarious and outrageous and ridiculous? Yes. Is it also, do we still feel for these characters? hundred percent. You know what I mean? Yeah. I will come out on the record at this point and say that I'm not, I don't think this movie is successful as is perhaps you think it is. Um, I think that there are some things that work and I think that there is a lot that doesn't work for me necessarily. Uh, and we can get into it. Um, no, but one of the things that I do think is successful is the point that you're trying to make, which is like putting these two worlds side by side and using that as like the overarching metaphor to like hit both of those uh, emotional highs and lows um, really successfully. Uh, I think we also, again, in that Q and A, like he explicitly said, like this is a world that is like uh, the world of like. Um, like London and London adjacent in like the seventies. Uh, but it's like one degree removed. And I think that like, that's most of his work. Like the Berlin wall is there, but it's not really the Berlin wall that we know. Like it's, it's yeah. a degree removed and it's those people in rabbit hole are like living in a otherwise very realistic world. Um, but there is this kind of fantastical element with wormholes and things like that. He uses a very sciencey uh, trope to kind of, um, blur everything a little bit. And, and I do think that that continues here and, and is successful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I have no disagreements with that. Although, I mean, as, as a fanboy of this, <laughs> of this picture, I have to say, uh, it's, it, it could be my favorite, my new favorite movie. I really do. I think this is a new, and going to what you said about this, this movie being, uh, one, one degree removed from, you know, London and punk in the early seventies or, or the late seventies, maybe is it the late seventies? I think so. Okay, so it's right when when punk is starting, like Sex Pistols, you know, uh, New York Dolls. Yeah, because I think Nicole, I think Nicole says, um, you know, that there was a period of time right before the movie starts where all those people were like hanging out in her crowd, and now that it's taken off, they've like just left like her purview. So yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So. Um, no, I mean, here's the thing. I could be wrong because you obviously love the movie. We also saw this with a uh, future friend of the podcast, Jesse Knight, and um, he gave it five stars on Letterboxd. So I could oh, easily I'm be... so glad to hear that. I could easily be in the minority. He was thrilled. Um, I think his review, and I hope he doesn't mind me paraphrasing it, was something just about like how thrilled the 15-year-old girl inside of him was with this movie. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, so he said and, similar things then. I think, yeah, I think you guys had similar takes. Um should we talk just, <laughs> I still think, I just think it's worth talking about the fact that the reason that this has even happened was because you just randomly asked, I think you either asked me like if it was ever getting released or showing, oh, what was the <laughs> genesis of, okay, of so us doing like, this? Because the turnaround was like a week. Yeah. Uh, it, so I DM'd you and I was like, yo, what is up with how to talk to girls apart? I said, oh, I said to you, 
if how to talk to girls at parties ever comes out, you and I have to do a kid manifesto about it. And you, and we sort of lamented, haha, that's never going to happen. Happen. And then I Googled it and I was like, wait a second. It's, it's showing Friday, like 45 minutes away from you. And so I was like, I'm coming. Like I just bought the ticket. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the Friday prior to that. So it was complete happenstance it really seven was. days before. <laughs> like, did you plan this? And I wish I had, I wish I was that smart. Uh, that's smooth, you know, like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm inviting myself up. Let me be smooth about this, but I'm not that smooth. So we, we went, it was, um, I think, I was thinking it was the first, it was the first night of SF Film Festival, right? Yeah, Friday, for sure. Cool. Uh, so we went and there was a, a Q&A after um, with Neil Gaiman and John Cameron Mitchell. Uh, it was in the, the beautiful historic Castro Theater, a theater that I love, um, filled with gays, filled with people ready to be taken to another planet. Um, yeah, I think that's the setup that I and want. It was my first time at the Castro Theater. Um, it was my first time in San Francisco, actually. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, let me just apologize, I guess, here to your one million listeners uh, in front of them mm -hmm. uh, for almost getting us killed in the car ride over to the Castro Theater from my Airbnb because um, I've never driven in San Francisco before, and it's the most horrifying experience I've ever had in my entire life. So... Yeah, it's pretty scary. And that's coming from you, like a seasoned LA driver. Uh, it's pretty, pretty lawless. Oh, it's, uh, it's the Wild West, literally. Um, but yeah, so uh, we're there at the Castro Theater. Are you wanting me to talk about my interactions with said filmmaker? Or do you want me to talk about Neil Gaiman and John Cameron Mitchell? I can go into that a little bit. What, what are we doing? Um, why don't we jump into the movie and go through it? And then I want to talk about kind of the things that happened after as far as the Q&A and the uh, the after party, if you want to call it that. Oh, my God. It was. Well, it was a party. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, you, you listen, it was a Friday night. I'd driven for six hours. It was a Friday night. I don't really. Why don't you uh, go into the movie a little bit? Tell me what happened. Sure. Um, I think you've already kind of set it up a little, which is uh, that this is kind of um and an otherworldly love story. Uh, we have um, a, a, a guy uh, played by Alex Sharp, whose name is uh, N, short for Henry and his friends. And um, they're kind of like young aspiring punks. And through a sequence of events, they meet uh, a girl named Zan, Elle Fanning, and her crew, uh, who we quickly find out to be um, different colonies of aliens that are here on earth. And, uh, we get um, a mashup of punk culture and alien culture kind of on the last days of Elle Fanning's time on Earth before she's going to be eaten by her parents, alien parents, and uh, and swept away. How's that? Uh, sounds good to me. Sounds good. Great. To me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we should also say, and I think you started to mention it, that this was based on a very, very short story by Neil Gaiman. Um there's almost there's almost nothing to it. it. It is really just the first half of the movie, if that, which is the kind of boy meets girl, girl is alien um, portion, and and they kind of just get to build off of that. So pretty much everything we see with a lot of the mythology, a lot of the uh, later plot points is all brand new for the movie. Um, yeah, I'll go. And ahead. I think literally everything visually you see is totally out of the mind of John Cameron Mitchell, and I'm assuming the writer uh, that he wrote it with, uh, Philippa Goslett. Um, uh, 
it's totally completely removed from the short story and that's what i think makes this uh original ip so interesting is that i remember seeing this announced in the trades you know i i only get my knowledge from debt the deadline i don't really you know i'm not super plugged in so it's like oh john Cameron mitchell neil gaiman he's adapting neil gaiman so i went and re read this and i was like what like you know this is so it, it's so for lack of a better word nothing you know i mean i know it was i think it won a hugo award maybe or nominated for a short story science fiction award um but it was it was so something that i was like wow like this is what he chose to do and then after seeing the movie, it's like, of course, that's what he chose to do, because it gives him the freedom to do anything with this story. And you and by so going into a little bit of the making of, of a film um, nowadays, it's really, really hard to get your movie made. Uh, the movie gods just don't want you to make your movie. That's just what it is nowadays. Uh, and there's almost no money to make movies. You know, I just went I just got back from seeing Pacific Rim which is like the glossiest, most expensive movie ever. And you could just clearly see that everybody who had a speaking role was plugged in with a computer, like how much money will they make in Japan and how much money will they make in China and what are they going to do in the Philippines? And is this person a big enough star in Korea and the United States to hit both of those audiences? And on one hand, that's really, really cool because for a big summer blockbuster, you get a cast that's almost entirely non-white male. Like, you, for a big summer blockbuster, it's usually like Tom Cruise and like, or like you know all these like big straight white American male actors. And then for Pacific Rim, which I think is so cool, you get yeah, there's there's a uh, Scott Eastwood in there, and he's you know he's doing his thing. But you get all these amazing, cool, hip actors that are that are diverse. And and so on on the one hand, that's super cool. On the other hand, there's a lack of creativity that comes from that. So bringing that to how to talk to girls at parties, the idea is that um, to greenlight a movie, studios love pre-existing property. They love a short story by someone who's already established with a built-in audience. Like movies, movie studios love a built-in audience. So the idea that you can market this as an, an adaptation of a Neil Gaiman short story well, Neil Gaiman has a really big following, especially in other countries. Like, he's not just United States-centric. So this is a movie that is going to have to be sold around the world, right? And so movies are are reverse-engineered from their release date. So the idea that, that you've got a really interesting, cool, creative writer pairing up with a really interesting, cool, creative writer-director, that, that makes for a really interesting, cool, creative movie. Uh, and and hopefully it makes for a very financially successful one. I don't know how successful this movie is going to be, but I do think there's truth in what you're saying because, again, going back to that Q&A, you could tell the people that were there because they were seeing a John Cameron Mitchell film. Uh, you could tell the people that were there because they were seeing a Nicole Kidman film because they were me. <laughs> and you could tell the people that were there to see a Neil Gaiman film because like the questions that they were asking, like that guy that was directly behind us and Jesse that was like just so stoked to be in that man's presence. Yeah. And like, it could have just like, it could have been anything on that screen and he like would have bought a ticket to go see it. Right. And that's what I love is that that's kind of what that, uh, that's so amazing. What, what the, what movies can do, what the, what the, what the theater Samuel <laughs> uh -huh. is that it brings all these different people together. And again, it, it, it speaks to some of the themes 
in in the film about otherness and about that other and about the the separation between people but what in what other medium what other phenomenon of human consciousness do 1500 people all strangers kind of you and me even agree to walk into a dark room look up at a you know, a white square for two hours and then all exit that room two hours later as friends. It just doesn't happen very often. So I think that's a really cool, sexy thing about a movie like this is like, yeah, like, and, and, and something sexy about an artist like John Cameron Mitchell is to take the sort of dirty work of, of getting your movie made and, Oh, I'm going to package this with this and, Oh, well we need a star. So let's get Nicole and like, let's, plug all these things into the computer and still make this cool artsy fuck off punk rock movie. I mean, how cool is it to take the formula and make it punk rock? Like that's so fucking sexy to me. I will say that as far as like the beats of the story, other than knowing that we were going to see some sort of like romantic arc take place. uh, I didn't really know what kind of movie we were going to see even like during it. Um, which I think is really exciting because it gets really mythology heavy in like the second and third act yeah. um, for better or for worse. And like parts of it, I was like super into. Um, but uh, at the very least I was seeing something that like, uh, you know, it's like that Natalie Portman shitty garden state thing where she's like, I'm going to do something that no one else has said before or whatever. Uh, like at the very least you're doing something that is like wholly unique. Um, and that was exciting. Yeah. Uh, something that I, that I hadn't seen before. Maybe, You've seen elements of it before, but certainly not all together. Yeah, like even um, even the first scene or one of the first scenes, the the punk boys end up at this, what they think is a house party. And it's really <laughs> this like crazy alien orientation where the six various families are all kind of like coexisting. And they each have their own um, like style of dress and kind of like... Um, mannerisms and it, it's just actually like it was hilarious we were everyone in the audience was dying we were falling out i mean they turned that place into a black church it was so funny it was so spot on and it was so welcome like it, it, it was such a great way to start a movie so many times nowadays you walk into a movie theater and you wait 20 minutes for the movie to start we i sat down and the movie had started 20 minutes before i got in the theater i mean it was so refreshing to like sit there and actually be confused for a second and just be totally immersed in this, in this world and really kind of just sit there and like bottom for the film for a while before we figured out what was going on. Um, so that was really cool to me. Yeah. Even just seeing like, even seeing Ruth Wilson star of Showtime's the affair, uh, (laughs) star stage and screen who's third build in this movie, by the way, um, in like a latex outfit playing this like leader of, perhaps like the most like sexually charged um, group of aliens, which are the Stellas. And she's the, the parent teacher Stella, the PT Stella. This is where we get like very mythology heavy, Um, (laughs) essentially characters that we learn will subsequently like eat all their young and then evolve into the next form in the next world. And then like repeat this cycle. Uh, It's just so funny to watch her. And she is hilarious throughout this movie. When she's drunk at the end, I was deceased. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, I, this is just a, if you have, if you go into this movie expecting to have anything else other than fun, just don't watch the movie at all. It's so fun. It's so loves itself. So, um, next thing, Sam, you you gotta direct me here. I, I'm not, I'm not as, 
Not as yeah. So once on a Friday night, we uh, we get that opening scene. Um, they're in the house party. They uh, the boys end up getting split up, and and ends up meeting Zan, the Elle Fanning character. Um, and pretty quickly, she uh, is fascinated by him, and she decides that she wants to spend the remaining 48 hours of her time on this earth uh, with N and she wants to see the punk because he <laughs> said the word punk before. And she says, she says, do more punk to me because he cuts her dress, yeah, which is like, so funny. I'm getting a fucking tattoo that says do more punk to me. Like, is that punk? Do more punk to me. Uh, that's again. And that's what I'm talking about is that that's one of those scenes where you have this, you have huge, big laughs in that scene where she's like, she wants to see the punk, right? And you're, and you're about to transition from this getting to know the characters to now you know the characters and you need to see them interact, right? So there's that interesting first act to second act movement. Um, that scene though is really interesting because you've got big laughs, but also this really cute, like this, there's this meet cute. There's this, a real sense of like, here's, Boy meets girl, and like, and there's there is a sense of like that spark between them, and so that 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 balance and that contradiction of it's funny, but it's also here it is and it's true and there's drama to it is something that I find really unique and special. It's uh, it, it works and it's funny because really it's two. I mean, it's two idiots. It's a person that has it's an alien that has no idea what being a human is, and it's a. Uh, a boy who can't see the forest for the trees because he's and can't see that he's speaking to an alien because he's so like head over heels yes. and uh yeah but also there's so much heart um so he i think he takes her about how it's a, a metaphor for millennials or later sure go for it i mean i think this is uh, i think this is maybe the first millennial love story like i think this essentially what you just said which is uh, a girl who doesn't know what she's doing because she's pretending to be something that she's not and a boy who can't really see what she is which it should be obvious to everyone um but because he's so in love with her or so infatuated by her or with her that um he can't see who she is i think the the her like mannerisms and artifacts of speech are so spot on for a metaphor for the way like today's youth talks and just their they're working out their relationship and their hiccups and their interactions are so, so spot on for the way I think young people interact today and make missteps. And, Oh, did you like, what's a double text, <laughs> you know, or like the, Oh, did he ghost me? You know, there are so many weird things that we're all doing with our phones nowadays that I think if you, if you took, if you, if you took all uh, away, all of our phones for a week uh, by Saturday, we'd all be talking like these characters. That's my opinion. It's it's really fun to watch her play play up that like level of naivete. Like I think I think I laughed the hardest when in this next scene they take her to um, kind of like the punk lair. It's where we finally meet Nicole's like Queen Bodicea character, kind of like the she's the Melissa Leo of the I'm dying up here kind of universe <laughs> in the club. She's the um, door of punk rock. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But she drinks that beer and this happens twice. She drinks the beer and then she immediately vomits it up. And the way that her <laughs> eyes cross when she does it is actually the funniest thing I've seen on a screen. In, yeah. I mean, probably not even this year, but last year. Yeah. In, in I, I think this is, 
she's so funny in this. Nicole Kidman is, I mean, gets a round of applause from me for being a hilarious um, slapstick actor in this film. Even though it's not like she's not doing Buster Keaton falling off trains and and locking the policeman in the in the police station, but there are certain like like acting visual cues that are meant to be funny that she just knocks out of the park. Oh, she, you can tell she's having a great time. The first thing that we see her do is like she's grabbing people and like moving them onto stage, and she's telling people to fuck off. I think her first words are "Oh, fuck off," um, which is punk rock. She, yeah. It's so punk rock. Uh, in my letterbox review, I said that she says fag twice, so we prove once and for all that Nicole Kidman can say faggot uh, if she wanted to, although she was referring to cigarettes, I will clarify. <laughs> um, it's just, you can tell she's having a blast. Even the scene at the very end where they're like all just drunk on the staircase in the like alien mansion, like, you can tell she's just having so much fun. Yeah. And that scene with Ruth Wilson at the end where she like gives her the advice. Yes. Ah. Do you remember um, what she said to Ruth Wilson? So uh, skipping around, there is a kind of like a, a punk versus alien showdown towards the end. And um, uh, there's a showdown between Ruth Wilson and Nicole Kidman. And uh, the Ruth Wilson tribe is like very, very sexually crazed. And Nicole Kidman says a couple of things. One, she says that sex is like, the opposite of punk rock like sex isn't cool right and then she says like um she tells ruth wilson's character essentially that she needs to evolve which is a very much a recurring theme in the movie these characters are are here to move on to the next form but she says like you just need to evolve you need to get past this uh and it's surprisingly effective that is a scene that i do really like yeah i don't understand i mean as you're describing these moments again only saw it once was totally enraptured by it uh so couldn't really take it in for scene to scene uh as as you're telling me these scenes again how is this not your favorite movie like of the year it's so fucking cool um so so they they i'm I, i've lost my place now they they're they're at the punk at the, we we've met nicole he's rock and rolling she's punk rocking actually and then where do we go from there um, I think they bounce around. They, well, they end up, okay, so this is a good segue because this is one of the things that I really don't like about the movie, but he ends up taking her home to his home and we see um, him put Zan to bed on the couch and then we see him go upstairs and like check on his mother who we can tell is an alcoholic because she's asleep with the TV on like Monique and Precious and she's got bottles everywhere. <laughs> um, and I, I don't like anything that has to do with the mother uh, because we are supposed to be given the sense that she's like uh, maybe like a bad, a bad mother or perhaps an angry mother. But then the next morning she wakes up and she's like pretty chill about the fact that there's like a girl sleeping on the couch. She's like a little suspicious. And then she's just like silly. And I, I just don't understand that character. I don't understand the characterization. Um, I, none of that part works for me. That's fair. That's fair. I think it's a wild character that there's no payoff later in the movie. And it is not a uh, diss on Joanna Scanlon because I love her in the original getting on and I love her in notes on a scandal. Um, I just, none of that works for me. That, Except mean, for that's maybe the part where the alien is talking to Al Fanning through his mother's body. That's the only part that I think is even remotely charming. I think maybe that's the reason for the mother character being there. Um, <laughs> I, but I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, I, I, I do love Joanna Scanlon in all those things you mentioned. And in this, I don't have any issues with 
those scenes, but I can see how the sort of, the, especially the introduction of the mother in that sort of very film school, <laughs> you know, like, w- like whatever's pl- like, you know, uh, put on your Sunday shoes is playing on the, on the TV screen and she's like passed out. I get, I get that that's maybe a turn on. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's weird in the way that they present her versus the way that the character actually acts. Um, like, I don't have a problem with her being that character that we're shown. I just don't like what we're, I don't know. I don't, there's something about it that I remember thinking, and maybe I need to see it again, that just really rubbed me the wrong way. And that was the first moment that I like turned off in the movie. Okay. Okay. I feel that. Um, but then they go out, they have their like little adventure the aliens are, are trying to convince her to come back. So I mentioned that the aliens speak to her through um, N's mother. And then later there's that scene in the coffee shop where like Elle Fanning is like, I'm going to get up and mm-hmm. I'm going to leave. And then I'm going to come back and we are not going to be talking about this anymore, which is oh! I think the hardest, the audience laughed Man, in the whole movie. Was I pumping my fist in the movie theater? Like I just remember being so on board with everything that character said. And just like, she was like, uh, I don't want to diagnose anyone. I'm not a doctor, but this is sort of an autistic character in the sense that it's someone who doesn't know societal norms. So in that sense, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's so amazing to just see a character say exactly what's on their fucking mind and (laughs) bored with it. And like it, it's, Oh, it's so brilliant. Um, Yeah. These idiot kids think she's from America. So they're asking her about America and she like, can't, hold up the ruse anymore because she's like not even from earth and so she just says like i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna walk over there and then i will come back and we won't be talking about this anymore (laughs) and when she leaves she ends up talking to a child that like the child is her like alien parent speaking to her through the child and that's funny too but like the audience yes you were fist pumping at the screen you did a lot of um like putting your hand up as if to like stop the movie because you were overcome uh it was it was good. You were really into it. I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, I'm a little embarrassed in retrospect, but you know, when you are taken by you are so taken and enraptured by you know what you're seeing, sometimes it's out of your control. Sometimes it's out of your control. Um, I think eventually they get around to having sex because we've seen this kind of like animation of uh, like a cell or something, kind of like being attacked by another organism it's really hard to explain but the animations in the movie are, are really cool and really conceptual Me. um yeah I don't, I don't really remember and then essentially this all builds up to the kind of showdown of the two tribes at the at the end which i think is like where more than like a third of the movie takes place in this last scene this is a huge fuck off real deal movie scene I mean, like this. This is like everybody is done up. They have. They woke up at six. They got up in the makeup trailer. I mean, this is this is the movie scene. I mean, this is what we have been waiting for. Uh, it's it's a little. You kind of want to harken back a little to that um, movie uh, with that she also did. It's um. It's eyes wide shut, dude. Wait, what about this? Is eyes wide shut? I would love to hear that. The sex part. Oh, oh. Sure, 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 sure. Dude, that's crazy. I didn't realize until just I just came out of my mouth that she's in that movie. Yeah, she she is the movie. If you ask, uh, if you ask me. Yeah. So so yeah. So that even makes my point a little bit more for me. The idea that this is sort of the the <laughs> the punk rock eyes wide shut sex party, 
And in, in, and in fact, it's what makes it punk rock is that the person in charge of the sex party is advocating for no sex. Uh, and it's this rock and roll, badass visual feast, if you ask me. It is fun. I do think another thing that I do like about the movie is um, it's like one of N's friends follow, kind of like falls for one of the Stellas, which is the Ruth Wilson tribe. And they end up hooking up and the Stellas have this ability to like duplicate. Yeah. Um, so like as they're get it going at it, um, this female Stella kind of generates a, a male Stella body and he gets really freaked out at the beginning. And at the end, he has this moment where uh, he kind of looks at them while well, this is being intercut with the Ruth Wilson evolve scene. Um, it's bouncing back and forth between the two and he kind of like succumbs to it and uh, has this really touching moment with both the male and the female Stellas, which I actually do really like all of those parts. Yeah. Um, so again, I mean, you can see those themes of, of gender and division and sexuality and all those things that have, that have been um, pretty constant in John Cameron Mitchell's work. Uh, you can also see that, that, uh, we're, we're these, this is a really cool arc for these characters. Like if you think about this, like, so, um, Anne, the character of Anne, Al Fanning, she's other because she, she doesn't belong in this world. She's not of this world. These kids are other because they're, they're punk rock. Maybe they're on the outstretch and they're on the fringes of society. They're not, you know, this isn't London. It's like Croydon or something, right? I think it's Croydon. Um, yeah, and they they make sure to like remind us of that a lot. Right. They say like because she's when she says I want to see the punk, yeah, um, and he's like it's three in the morning, like this isn't London, like yeah. our punk shuts down at like two. <laughs> it's like punk light. So what a cool arc for these characters to go on, which is like they're in Croydon in the seventies, which is like you know, it's I mean to bring back Cleveland, Ohio from twenty two minutes ago, it's it's like Cleveland in the seventies, like not much. It's not New York in the seventies, so. To, to have these characters be at the center of this intergalactic um, revelation is something really cool. And so you see that character um, who is, I uh, is it, who's N's friend? Oh, his name is, uh... I don't know. Mm. I'm looking at the credits right now, I can't even see him. John, no? Yeah. John? Is it John? Or Vic, it's Vic, right? It's Vic, yeah, because Vic is um, Vic is who was the so other funny. major part of the short story. Who, by the way, was so hot. He was hot. Yeah, I was into it. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so to see Vic go from this, you know, you know, guy who probably called people poofters to a guy who has a tender moment with a man and a woman at the end of the movie, I think is a really kind of cool thing. Yeah, and it's played with like. I mean, it's, it's intercut in like perhaps the most significant exchange. So we know that it has importance, but it's not like played for anything more than it is. Um, it's, it's nice. The, there's a, a punk character, the spinning Jenny character too, um, who kind of has a similar like sexual awakening at the punk show when the aliens crash that. I don't know if you remember that part. Not really. No. Oh, it's fine. Um, but it's, it's really similar. And, um, it's when the Ruth Wilson character kind of realizes what's happening um, it's fine. I don't even know if I need to keep that. No, go that aside. It. I mean, I remember my, I, again, I was, I was full on bottoming for this movie. I was taken over. <laughs> so, uh, as I'm known to do, Sam, I don't know if you know my, uh, predilections, but, uh, yeah. So I, 
Zach, there's no way I could keep that in the podcast. <laughs> I dare you. I dare you. Um, uh, no, of, of course. I mean, I knew you were going to. Uh, all right. Let's then let's then let's can we just let's cut all that out. Uh, let's talk about the puke. Yeah, I, it needs to be talked about. I wish I had a special puke category because she drinks a beer again and then she goes to kiss Alex Sharp and she throws up in his mouth. Oh. And then when she does, she could, you could tell she's so relieved because she's like that bad, like whatever that bad stuff was is now out of my body. And then her eyes cross. It is like an almost sexual moment it, for her. It is. Yeah. I mean, she is a, uh, she's not an emetophobe. She's an emetophile. She is, she's so happy. But again, this is such a, this moment I would liken to the Neil Patrick Harris throat slitting in Gone Girl. I mean, it's such a overly ob- obscene and like just a, over the top moment but so well played for laughs and exactly the moment that it is it's just so and it's also like a big relief of tension in that scene i think it's so exactly where it needs to be uh and yeah it does it does sort of create the need for here on out for episodes for like a puke category it i can't think of another nicole kidman movie with puke in it and i'm probably don't please don't tell me if there are others but (laughs) (laughs) okay um noted should we should we talk about like the ending should we leave it open i can't decide um i guess if you're this far we can talk about the ending okay go for it uh so we know that all of the aliens have to leave um but we get a complication which is uh l fanning's character is pregnant um because they've had sex at this point and uh, it is apparently really good for the alien groups because their numbers have been dwindling. It's one of the reasons that they're there. Um, and they want her to have that child, but they are not certain that it can be born or survive on, on Earth. Um, so the, the big conflict in the third act and the way that N kind of finally realizes who Elle Fanning really is, is this conflict of will she stay? What will happen? Will she leave? Because um, if she leaves, she can never come back. And it kind of causes a an awakening in all the other alien characters as well. Um, and it leads to kind of a big, like, Supreme Court moment where they all have to come together and figure out what's going to happen. And uh, what does she choose? I think she chooses to stay, doesn't she? Um, she, she does it first, yeah. And um, all the other aliens leave and they go to, like, the top of this building because the punk kids think that they're just a cult and they're going to exit. And um, in a way, they're not wrong, but all of the aliens, you kind of see them on the top of this parking structure uh, or some sort of building, and they all kind of jump off and just disappear. But Elle Fanning stays with Alex Sharp's character, and um, he's, like, super excited. And then at the last minute, she pushes him down, and he, like, looks, and she's jumped over the edge, and he, like, peers over the edge, and she's gone. Right. Right. Which is actually, like... I was trying to get the audience vibe and, and they, I think they were really feeling it. I, I don't know that anyone is like crying, but I, 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 I also don't think that it justifies that necessarily. I was wistful. I was wistful. Um, yeah. Again, I think this is, yeah. Uh, it's an interpret. It's a, it's a, I think you can interpret it multiple ways. Is it, why did she do it? Um, why did she choose to leave versus stay? Um, Because I think, isn't that sort of dooming her to kind of not living much longer, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the assumption is she'll have those kids. She'll become 
one of the the parent teachers and um, will kind of just become a different part of the same cycle, uh, as far as I understand it. Okay, so so then no, so she's she's just going back to being her good old alien self, and so it leaves us the audience as sort of wondering. Oh. You know what, though, too, is we, I think we also see, because we've seen the six colonies as, like, essentially, like, the chakras, and they each have their own, like, iconography right. flowing around in the universe. Right. And then we see the creation of that new one, um, and I think that's kind of, like, her tribe that she's established now, because that seventh one gets added, and it's the same, like, yep. icon as uh, her ring mixed with N's, like, anarchy symbol. So right. it's, like, a concatenation of the two. Right. And again, you're seeing, I keep having to bring it back to those themes of division and procreation and recreation, all those things that John Cameron Mitchell explores so well. Uh, I, so this is, this is a really interesting ending for me because if you just take it at face value, it's boy falls in love with, you want to look at the formula, it's boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back again. And in fact, in this one, we add a step. Boy gets girl back again, and then girl leaves boy for reasons unknown. And so that's a, uh, a cool little twist, and we put the whole thing on its head. And so um, you- And if you're not fucked up already, you get an epilogue on top of it that inverts it once more. Tell me about it, Samuel. Uh, so we get a flash forward, which is so funny to like, I don't know, like 1997 or something. Uh, it's in the nineties. It's in a comic book store. Of course it is. Um, we see kind of like, kind of like rabbit hole where the, uh, Miles Teller character is like drawing that wormhole comic book. The Alex Sharp character has like published the car comic book version of, of the story that we've just been shown. Right. And he's at like a signing. Um, and then a group of kids asks them to sign their copies and he's like asking for all of their various names and they're all like whatever names. And then the last one is named N, which is his name. And then he looks up and it's all his little alien children and they've uh, they're, they've made their pilgrimage. Alien Rumspringa. Yeah, they're on the alien Rumspringa. It's unclear whether or not they can stay or not, but we do know that Al Fanning couldn't be there. They say that. Um, and then he he's, has a Neil Gaiman mullet, which is really funny. And uh, they have a little moment together. Sure. And you get that cute little uh, last shot. Yeah, which like, who the hell thought that that love story would end with? First of all, who thought we were going to the 90s? Second of all, who thought it was <laughs> no going to end with no one. him having seven children? Yeah. And no and no girl. And no girl. Yeah. So again, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what else you could say to make me love this more. Uh, it's It's so up my alley. It's so right there for me to take and grab and like lick on like a gobstopper forever. Um, it's so cool to have all of these different things merge into one, which is this one, you look at the frame and you see it and there's just an actor and a set and a bunch of characters. And then you want to look at every individual um, component of that. And there's just so much that went into it and so much leading up to this moment that I think this is a really successful outing for everyone involved. I would be lying if I said that I didn't have fun. I had a great time just in the experience of it all. And I also had a great time watching the movie. Uh, there, as I mentioned, there are parts that I don't think are super successful, but I think that I laughed a lot. Um, 
there would not be a situation where I would tell someone to not see this movie. Yeah, no, this is a great, this is a great fun movie. And it's, again, it's, it's a movie for somebody who's about 10 years younger than me. It's a movie for somebody who's 15, 16 years old, who's like just fallen in love or just fallen out of love and doesn't really understand and needs a phrase to, to latch onto, like do punk rock to me. And this is so a movie for someone just, just daring, just, just needing that world to explode for them. And I think that like the, the, the Bodicea character in particular, the Nicole Kidman character, like could be somebody that turns up in, in not in pop culture. This is not like a Jack and Sally thing from nightmare before Christmas, but this is like, this is the punk rock version of even the punk rock Christmas story. Like it's such a cool, um, moment i think in in rom-com i think for a genre that was so dead for so long the romantic comedy to bring it back in this way and to be so smart about it i think it totally revives it's such a cool hip romantic comedy and go see it yeah there's nothing more exciting than um something where because so many things i think for teenagers are like scientifically engineered to like what they hope will appeal to them that it's nice when something just gets made and that the end result is that it's something that teenagers would want to see i feel that way about um the this is completely off base but the most recent uh like the freaky friday musical um is this crazy good product um that it would be like the exact thing i would want to see as a teen that would like speak to me without pandering um oh so you thought or like yeah, or like without an excuse to like sell me merchandise. Like neither of these things, like there's not going to be a Bodicea action figure. You know what I mean? <laughs> although if there was one, you and me would be first and second in line. Sure, which although if there is one, feel free to mail it to yeah. me. Um, but like it, that's just always really, really exciting because it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Yeah, to create, yeah, a, an original, wholly original, fun, cool, watchable story. Um but I mean, it took me 500 miles away from my home to go see this movie. I mean, it's really like, it's just a cool thing that I didn't regret. And I fully expected because of the reviews. And I actually think this is a really great way to get into that whole story. Um, is um, It's a good segue. I fully expected this to be a dud. Like I went into this expecting, oh no, this is a guy who I love and respect and who changed my life completely. This is his one where it's it's not going to work so well, and it and it's so far exceeded my expectations, which is maybe why I love the movie so much. But um, to have so the movie premiered at Cannes with the sort of Nicole Lassance at Cannes with Killing of a Sacred Deer and the other film, which was Help Me Samuel, uh, uh, Beguile. The Beguile. Yes, yes. So it was it was a a, a sort of a three. It was a hat trick, Nicole hat trick with beguiled um sacred deer and have a talk to girls at parties and it was really the, a pr move to to put this film into can and um you know I, I i i spoke to someone associated with the film who said that um basically it was not it was no one's intention to put the movie into can other than nicole people so um it, the idea that this movie was just sort of packaged as like a trip to France, you know? Um, and then, and then it got so summarily clobbered by everyone at the, all the reviewers at the festival. And the idea that like this little punk rock movie 
is too commercial for France is actually the reason why um, the the movie got reviewed so poorly. I mean, this movie was literally reviewed famously as Samuel. Do you remember? Um, are you talking about like the the log, like the how to chat? <laughs> I remember seeing how to chat with girls at parties as like a dig, and um, I remember just seeing that it was overcomplicated. But what were you gonna say? Uh, it, the worst movie to ever premiere at Cannes. <laughs> oh right, right, and they brought that up at the Q and A. Right. So, um, so the idea that this movie is, um, you know, like the worst? No, I mean, not- no, that's that's just sensationalist. Also. I mean, like, it was acquired by A24. Like, it's the perfect A24 acquisition. So could it not be? I mean, it's like, they. Oh, I can't wait to see the next one. I, I'm, 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 yeah. Uh, so the idea that the, the these reviews were, so I was so influenced by these reviews. And uh, to, to, to come to realize that the, that this punk rock feature was too commercial for Cannes. And it wasn't a Cannes movie. It's this big, fun romantic comedy with a lot of laughs. It's a comedy. Nobody goes to Cannes to laugh. Um, and so, I mean, it's a real, honest to goodness, legit comedy. And so uh, I, I just, th- that sort of uh, revelation and, and new additional information that I didn't have before brings re- a really cool punk rock light to those uh, reviews because what's more punk rock than having your awesome punk rock movie that all the people who's who are in the target demo who love it, they know that all those reviews are just are false. Like it's so cool to have your awesome movie reviewed poorly. It's almost even better. It's it gives it even more status in the punk rock world than being reviewed as a darling. Yeah, I think um, this movie will kind of live or die by by word of mouth, which is one of the reasons that I'm excited that we're able to do this. Um, not that this has like this huge audience or anything, um, but maybe for some people that are on the fence, uh, they'll check it out. Go see it. Go see it. Pay the $16 movie, pass it. Um, go, buy, go buy a ticket to this the next time you go see a movie and then sneak into the one you want to see. Just, you know, just go, buy, go, go see it. Uh, there it is. Do you do you want to rate the movie? I just have a feeling you're going to give it all fives, but do you want to try and rate it? Yes, I would love to. And I have a feeling uh, I have a feeling it might surprise you, Samuel. Okay. Uh, so these are going to be some one through five categories uh, that can be based on the movie or Nicole or whatever you decide. Um, you are competing for the very prestigious Golden Compass Award. Um, and we're going to start with wigs in the movie. Right. So on a one through five scale, how do you wow. feel about the wigs? <laughs> I mean, I have to give five. I have to give five. And I, and I, and I think yeah, it's like a 36 out of five. <laughs> wigs on the hunt. I mean, wigs. Like, uh, uh, what's the thing? I mean, isn't that a thing with us? Wig, right? Wig. That's what I was saying mm-hmm. the whole time. Wig. Wig. To this movie. Five, Sam. Great. Yeah. I mean, Nicole's wig is... In a career of good wigs, it is a it is a standout moment. And am I making this up, or in the sort of, um, uh, am I making it up, or in the scene at the in the big the big showdown, does she not have this even crazier wig? It's I'm not sure if it's I think it's all the same, it but it's like definitely teased to the gods. Am I thinking of other people with crazy, wild... The hairstyling in this movie... The makeup and hairstyling in this movie is awesome. 
the I know that like Ruth Wilson's hair changes a little once she starts to rebel because she has that like top pony yeah. that like very alien like top bun. Um, it's good. It's a great wig moment. I've seen people use that shot of Nicole from the trailer that probably will never see this movie, so I know that it's a good wig moment. Great. Um, how about the accents in the movie? Ooh. Um, well, I mean, pretty. Uh, okay, so I'll, uh, I'll give two. I'll give two ratings. Everyone else five. Nicole four. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the four overall. Okay. Okay. Because ultimately we're here for her. I think hers is pretty good. Again, she said fag twice in a British accent. What 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 is what is what else is there to say? I mean, there's nothing. She says fuck off so many times. I'm trying to think of other things that she said that were really good. I just realized that we didn't talk about how the fact that there's an original music number in the middle. Oh my god! I you're right. You're right. They're totally. Ugh. I mean, we should just leave that as the as the cherry on top for people to go see it i actually really like that part too maybe i do love this movie yeah no you do you tim you don't this 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 movie's so good you realize it's your favorite movie a decade later that's how good this <laughs> um okay next for you i have the tried and true naomi watts scale so a high score on this is going to be like naomi uh voted for it at can naomi is going to opening night Naomi's going to buy the blu-ray dvd digital copy combo when it comes out okay. they text about it that sort of thing okay so this is unfortunately a zero. Naomi is not supporting this movie at all. However, however, Naomi definitely like flew out to set. Like they all drank flowing bottles of French wine. Like this is such a cool, like this is, they were totally texting about it, but Naomi it doesn't, will never see this movie, unfortunately. Unfortunately, this is not a Naomi Watts moment, um, but uh, Naomi knows about it. It's on Naomi's radar, but uh, this is not, on the on the scale for on the Naomi Watts scale, unfortunately, this is a big zero. This is a big goose egg. Cool. I think I've set a precedent of not letting people give zeros, so I'm going to give you the one because I like the story of her drinking the French wine. Sure. Um, sure. So you're going to get that. I can see a moment where because Nicole rehearsed for this when she was doing Photograph 51 um, in the West End, and I can see a situation where JCM and Naomi go and see that play, and then after they like kind of talk about it because it's like the elephant in the room. Well, no, but I, I mean, of course they talk about it. They, she says, "Hey, John, you're directing Nicole in this movie," and he says, "Yes." And then they talk about amazing, sexy things that uh, normie minds could never imagine, which is why yes. <laughs> So maybe we have one, one, a very All right. one. Okay. So this next one is approachability. So if you see um, Nicole's Queen Bodicea character <laughs> at like a punk show or something, how likely are you to strike up a conversation with her? Uh, well, knowing me and how likely I am to strike up conversations, uh, you would think that it would be a higher number. But um, I'm going to go ahead and say very sort of down the middle, I'm going to say three. Because it's 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 all depending on at, at what point in the night is she in relation to the beer that she drinks. Is it right after the beer? Then it's a five. If it's right before the beer, then it's a one. So I'm going to give it a three. Yeah, we didn't talk about it, but she really gives us levels when she's yeah. talking about kind of like her heyday and things like that. So I agree. Um, also, I've seen you strike up conversations with people, uh, specifically John Cameron Mitchell. I did I mean, um, in public. So John Cameron Mitchell at a, at the stud in the Castro District uh, for several minutes, but yeah, you know. 
I would just like to say one thing about the stud, which is bef- while we were waiting for John Cameron Mitchell, we watched a drag queen whose name was God's Little Princess perform the song Last Resort by Papa Roach. And it was one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. Uh, I was living for it. I was living for it. It was really good. There was also that band, that drag queen band that were like throwing their own merch into the audience for free. They had like those sandals they were throwing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was a nice night. And then, um, oh, also, you, on our way out, got different drag queens to download my podcast while we were waiting for a cab. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Well, I mean, what? listen, um, what can I say? It works. It worked. It was guerrilla marketing, yeah. and it worked. Uh, talk about Okay, this next one. Yeah, talk about punk rock. Um, this next one is a Scientology scale. So a five on this score would be that this movie is, like, the most suppressive thing to Scientology, Knowing you, I don't have to explain what that means. Right. Um, a one would be like they're showing this at their orientation. So if there was ever an SP in a person, it would be John Cameron Mitchell. Um, I, I This is a five. This is has to be yeah. five. There's really not. I mean, to to suggest that there are any other aliens other than Xenu and Thetans, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine David Miscavige <laughs> trembling in his boots, honey? Can you believe? <laughs> I, I cannot believe. I, I cannot believe. Yeah, it's it's a locked-in five. Uh, and then the last one is going to be, and this one might be hard to judge because we're in the eye of the storm right now, but overall level of iconicness as it pertains to Nicole's career. Wow. Okay. Um, wow. Well, uh, I want to say five just because I'm such a huge fan. I'll give it a muted four. Um I think this is one of those departures for her that is not of her. It's like, I'm going to, I just thought of this, but it's kind of like, um, you know, Kid Rock objectively sucks. All right. And if anybody listening to that disagrees with me, fight me. I don't really care. I'm, I'm cool to die on that hill. Kid Rock sucks. Except for that one song photograph with Sheryl Crow. He rocks in that song. So um, it's, it's kind of like, I'm not saying that Nicole's, the rest of her career sucks. I'm just saying that this is like, this is such a departure for her thematically, comedically. Um, I think even the way she's made up with that heavy eyeliner, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if there's one thing that we know about Nicole and John Hara Mitchell said this during the Q and a is like, she is continually looking to challenge herself. She's continuing to look work with the most interesting directors. I mean, she just did a fucking Yorgos Lanthimos movie and then did a Sofia Coppola movie and then did a John Cameron Mitchell movie again. Yeah. Like the woman is not ready to sit still. No, she's not. No, she's not. By the way, by the way, uh, as evidenced by her interrupting Sandy Bullock on the red carpet this year. Yeah. I think she's having the time of her life right now. God bless her for it. God bless, which is why, I mean, there's a whole podcast dedicated to her. Oh, really? What is it? Uh, that would be his <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and say since since it's just the Monday after the movie came out, I'm gonna say four. Okay, uh, that gives you. Let's see, that gives you a very promising. Um, wow, that's a twenty. That's a twenty-two out of thirty. So as far as contemporaries, uh, you're right up there with um, fellow twenty-two's Paddington. Love it. Which I love. Love it. Uh, fellow twenty-two, The Beguiled. So very twenty seventeen thing happening okay. here. Yeah. Uh, the others. Okay. Classic Nicole. Classic. Um, that's a good place to be. I think you're right behind. Let's see. What are you right behind? Oh, I'll tell you this. Even though this hasn't aired yet, um, you're tied with Dog Bill. 
Ooh, that's a great, is that a good episode? I gotta listen to that one. Thrilled with it. I love Jeffrey and he makes it super political. <laughs> awesome. I'm happy about that. Great. Cool. Um, yeah. And then you're one behind, let's give you someone that you're trailing. You're one behind the hours. So you're just one point away from an Oscar winning performance. Well, it's not her most um, iconic. We can all put on, we don't put on a fake nose, Samuel. Okay, we're not going to get into that now, but we are going to get into something else, which is uh, the last game on the podcast before I send you on your way. Um, I'll explain this as I do every week, but in lieu of talking about Big Little Lies, which is a task simply too large for one man like myself to do, um, I've been outsourcing it to my guests. The only trick is I've been asking them to do it in 60 seconds. Um, So if you feel up to it, I will have you recount the entire first season of Big Little Lies in one minute. Oh my God. Um, Okay, wait, can we start at like 30? Sure. I'm just going to hit start on my phone. So whenever you feel ready, go ahead and do it. Well, okay. Uh, Okay, so it's a bunch of... uh... Rich Ladies in Carmel by the Sea, it's uh, Reese Witherspoon and obviously Nicole Kidman and um, Zoe Kravitz and Laura Dern plays Renata and um, oh, who's that? Why do I want to say, um, oh, Shailene Woodley. And there are all these rich ladies. I guess, uh, uh, why am I just calling them rich ladies? <laughs> I'm doing so bad at this. They're Okay, all their kids go to preschool and Shailene's kid is um, a... Uh, he's accused of slapping another kid. I think Reese Witherspoon's kid. And it's, um, and so the whole thing kind of goes out of that. There's a bunch of like domestic violence stuff happening. Um, Alex Skarsgård and Nicole have like a very domestic violence-y um, relationship that I personally didn't, I don't, you know, wasn't, wasn't here for. Um, and then uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon is cheating on Adam Scott, I think with the theater director who's doing Avenue Q. And there's that amazing, hilarious scene where she's describing cheating on him with Nicole Kidman. And she's like, and fun. Oh, are you kidding me? It's really hard, right? I think I did pretty good. It's, that was good. Um, Shailene Woodley's name held you up a little, which honestly, who among us? And uh, well, you did say Carmel. You did say Carmel by the Sea and not Monterey, but that's fine. No, it's Carmel by the Sea, bro. Is that a big I, Is that a big guy? I don't think that's right. I, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I'm pretty sure some of them live in Carmel by the Sea. You can, you can dig there. deep into that. Certainly shot there. I mean, you can say whatever you want about it, but I will say that like every single guest has said Monterey. Right. Okay. Well, every single guest is wrong, man. Uh, uh, but that's going to be the hill you want to die on in this episode? There's a lot. You, a hill. There were two. There's like at least three times that you said that. You said about Kid Rock. <laughs> hill. Um, that was pretty good. Uh, we didn't talk about this, and I don't think we'll be able to find. I probably won't be able to pull a song from the movie for the outgoing music. But is there something you'd like to be played out to when we end this? You know what? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do. I've I've, I've actually I did give this some thought, and I think it'll. I think it's got to be the song from. Um, I didn't even talk about unzipped probably for the better. Um, so we'll, but I think it'll be the song from, um, uh, from Hedwig, uh, the big last 11 o'clock number, uh, walking out. Um, this is a song that, uh, means a lot to me. There's a lyric in there that says, uh, to all the strange rock and rollers, you know, you're doing all right. And that lyric really meant a lot to me at the, at the moment it needed to. And um, at the moment where I was accosting 
uh, Mr. Mitchell. I, I mentioned this to him, and uh, and he gave me some very kind words. So I think we'll go out on the song Midnight Radio from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I can do that. Um, Zach, thank you for, first of all, driving across the state to see this movie with me. Uh, and more immediately, thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you for hosting me, and thank you for hosting me again. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to ask, where can people find you online, etc.? Uh, well, you can always unfollow me on Twitter at Zach DeVito, or you can check out my cool little screensaver project at newview.tv. That's N-E-W-V-U-E dot TV. Um, it's just basically like if you have a screen, just throw this up on it if nothing else is there. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. That's that's as good a place as any. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at the Kid Manifesto. You can find me on Twitter also at Mr. Sam Herbst. Um, again, just the dankest of Nicole memes coming out of both of those accounts. Um, so why not give them both a follow? Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. You know the whole drill. Um, Zach, thank you. Thank you. Punk rock. <laughs> I want more punk rock. Take me to the punk rock. Do punk rock to me. Do more punk rock more. to me, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll see you. Thank you. Peace. Bye. Then you're shining like the brightest star, the transmission on the midnight radio. Then you're spinning like a 45 ballerina dancing to your rocket. Oh